Claxon. Welcome to On The Ball, a Norwich City podcast from The Athletic. My name is Michael Bailey, The Athletic's Norwich City correspondent. And every week I will host this Canaries chat with familiar names and Canaries characters. For you this week, three points, one fine save and no sign of flagging. Leading us through it all, we have Norwich City Twitter stats guru, NCFC numbers. Although his birth certificate says Steve Sanders. It does, yeah. <laughs> and a little bit extra. Uh, yeah, I might be getting it changed, though, to NCFC numbers. Why not? <laughs> wonder where that was going. <laughs> Hello, Steve. Hello. And uh, live for the first time here in Norwich, Hodgespot founder, Scotland bounder and geography confounder, Mr. Stuart Hodge. I'll have you know that my geography is quite good, actually. Just before we get going properly, uh, make sure you subscribe to The Athletic to read great articles and get access to this and all of our podcasts ad-free. And by listening to this show, you can subscribe now with a 40% discount by heading to theathletic.com and using the code Norwich. Pod. Gentlemen, lovely to see you both at uh, Shea Sanders. <laughs> uh, how are you? How are you, Stu? Yeah, I'm really good. I used to live here, you know. So Did you really? It's good, it's good to be back, very much in home turf. I don't just mean Norwich as well, I mean in this actual house. Literally, you've eaten off this table. I have, although normally off my knees in front of the telly because I'm that kind <laughs> of guy. off the couch as well, I think. Yeah. Yeah. How, how many people in Norwich have lived in this house, Steve? Ooh, uh, it must be getting onto treble figures. <laughs> Fantastic. We'll see if we can get them all on at some point. Uh, well, great to see you both. Um, let's get on with it, shall we? 126 days. That was when Carrow Road last tasted victory. Uh, this podcast wasn't even formed back then. Uh, it wasn't easy, of course. Norwich were given a helping hand by Bournemouth, but it, it came in the end. Uh, how encouraged are we? How positive are we going to be that Norwich delivered the must-win victory they needed? Uh, yeah, well, very encouraged that they delivered it because I didn't think that they would. Um, I don't know if it's going to be the win, uh, the convincing win that's going to be the springboard to for us staying safe. Um, I, I think I sort of tweeted recently that in terms of some of the, the must-win games that we've had in the Premier League in recent years, um, in terms of sort of bottom five meetings that we've had previously, i.e. games where we and our opponents have both been in the bottom five of the Premier League, we've actually lost seven of the last eight. So I was fearing oh, the worst for this. <laughs> Not good. No, but... But um, obviously, like you say, we were given a big helping hand, um, quite literally, and that basically swung the game in our favour. Kudos to Cook, by the way. That was Gianluca Pagliuca-esque, the way he sort of soared through there to tip that. <laughs> and, and got off the ground to do it, because yeah. he was literally lying prostrate on Brilliant the ground. safe, fingertip safe. Huh? And we were right behind it, so we, we could see it was going in, and I hadn't quite clocked he'd actually just tipped it onto the post. Could, I could see that he hadn't... Could you see it live? Because I didn't realise live. Yes, it was, uh, I mean, it was handball. Yeah, okay. So he was waiting for it. And then in the ground, you, you have this debate of, well, how long is it going really to take VAR yeah. to check this? And why is it taking so long? Because the longer it takes, the more you start questioning it. Uh, and also there was then um, sort of uh, conflicting issues in terms of what they were actually checking, which I still think is a huge issue. The, cause but that, that's the usual situation up. with VAR where you, I mean, it's, it's sort of like a little idiosyncrasies and sort of strange things that they're checking and you don't even often know what they're quibbling over. And that's that's the thing where what we're looking at like real minute detail now, and that's where it's all gone wrong. And 
now they've actually just done what everybody else was doing in the first place, saying, oh, yeah, go and look at the monitor. <laughs> yeah, that's well, that's the idea. Which happened for the first time in Premier League history it's affected, at Carrow Road. it's affected as well. Like, the Premier League are doing this and it's so reactionary. That's what's really annoying about this, whereas if they're not trying to do it in their own way, just like everyone else, and, and they just tried to follow what the other leagues had done quite successfully, then we wouldn't be in this situation where they're actually just taking what looks now like a retrograde step and doing that. I think it's progress. Um, I mean, if we're if we're talking about the the Godfrey red card, if we're jumping over to that, then uh, it was it was a bad tackle. It was a red card, and I suppose ultimately they got it right. Um, the kind of the melee that was going on behind the referee um, while he had his back turn it was a bit like when a sort of supply teacher goes out to uh, I don't <laughs> know brilliant. deal with something outside the classroom and suddenly every all hell breaks loose. It was all it was all yeah it was all kicking off and it was like no one's thought this through have they? <laughs> and likewise the fact that Norwich had the VAR monitor on the uh, Bournemouth side of the tunnel I think is yeah. it, I wouldn't do that personally if you're going to get stuck into marginal gains mm. just you know sneak a bit of room on the home side because. <laughs> Even though no one's supposed to get involved, you could see quite clearly through whoever it was in the edge of the Bournemouth dugout was just going, course back. I know the answer to that, though. Maybe they should get a monitor that comes out and moves and turns and swivels around just like the big screen. Like, yeah, yeah. They, they could do something like that. Yeah. Architecturally, be a bit inventive. Well, to be honest, that would be big enough for the referee to see. So yes. just do it in front of us all so we can see it. I mean, they were actually helped out, I thought, in terms of how long it took by the fact the foul was literally in front of the dugout. Yeah. If it had been on the far side of the pitch, the referee's got to come all the way over and all that sort of stuff. It, the whole situation felt very convenient in terms of making it look like it really works and I'm sure at some point it'll take a lot longer and people will hate it because that's why they didn't use the monitors in the first place mm. but there we go um, uh, we will have Tim Krull talking about this in a moment as well just on the Godfrey foul um, I'm all for like the the lad Valverde at Real Madrid just cleaning someone out in order to preserve the points but it's not the area of the pitch that Ben Godfrey <laughs> should be doing that in. and I, I just feel it was it was a bit naive from Ben, who's a player that's shown a lot of maturity for his age so so much over the past eighteen months or so, um, and I just feel I just think that was a, that was a poor decision, and it's the kind of thing that can cost you. Hundred percent, and actually, I'm I mean, in a way, I'm I'm quite surprised it hasn't happened sooner because Ben Godfrey definitely has that in yeah, him, he does. and I think he there was a bit of winding up from from Callum Wilson, who appears to have turned into some sort of weird dark art striker rather than the sort of playing off the shoulder, running in behind yeah, lethal was, finisher that he was. It was definitely a bit niggle in the game before, and it felt like something like that was coming. Uh, anyway, um, so we, I think we're happy with that, and and ultimately we don't really know why it took so long to, to check with the penalty, but it was, and it was a, it was a wonderful moment. It's and just the usual man. Like we go to football now and we spend. I mean, we should actually take some knitting or whatever your kind of hobby is, just for these VR interruptions, maybe like. I don't know if you're into Sudoku like maybe just bring a wee Sudoku quiz with you or, or whatever you know like I mean there's so many of these interruptions now that we actually need something else to engage us during that time maybe it can be like America where we can get cheerleaders out or something I don't know well, like, I'm sure they're going to look into it um, and we're no doubt going to talk about VAR in a little bit uh, of time on the podcast I'm sure but I tell you what um, let's hear from the mix zone with Norwich City head coach Daniel Farker lauding the debut of Andre Duda but first that little bit of my chat with Tim Krull I mean, you, you were kind of busy getting in sort of handbags while the referee was at the monitor, weren't you? Yeah, no, I, I looked over and I've uh, seen 10 of them shouting and gossling, um, like proper shouting, oh, it should be off, it's horrible, same as uh, Obama Young and all this. And I mean, um, so I just just told them to be quiet, to be quiet, and then uh, it all kicked off. But um, no, it happens. And I mean, I'm just pleased that um, 
like I said, it didn't harm us because uh, that would have been really downing if uh, if they managed to score a goal. But um, one 0 clean sheet, something great to build on for sure. But that's a bit of sticking up for each other, I suppose, isn't that? Which is yeah, going to become more important. We need that. We spoke about this and. Um, and uh, yeah, it's a shame Benji because he just yeah. come back and he's he's not an easy person to uh, have on the sidelines um, in no way. But um, I mean, ground has been amazing when when Bennett hasn't been there. So um, he was slid right in on Wednesday. But um, Ben made a great block second half as well. Uh, so he needs to be not too harsh on himself because he, he's doing it for the right reasons. You know, he uh, in my opinion, he, <laughs> he's such a committed boy. He's just, it's yeah, that's why he's one of your defenders. And unfortunately, it didn't go um, his way today. I think he was class, wasn't he? So um, uh, that was the reason. I think he showed already um, that uh, the reason why we wanted to why we wanted to to bring him in because um, I think he was so important for for us with ability to to link the play, also good tactical behavior. He was important for our balance, so to speed the game up or to slow it slow it a bit down. And he was also there, pretty pretty crucial for this first goal in this red card incident. And keeping in mind that he just came out of a winter preseason in Germany and didn't have many games in the in these weeks I think is, uh, was really a top class performance and uh, yeah we're all happy that we have Does it matter that the win took so much effort? Is it, does that um, undermine it at all or is it literally no. a win to win in a yeah, way? Yeah especially now I know what you're trying to say but no at the moment um, <laughs> it didn't matter how we did it today and that was the most important And but I still think we did it with class um, created lots of chances Emmy Buki should have had a couple of goals um, but yeah what a what an amazing penalty because that was a pressure one and um, he admitted that he was a bit nervous uh, <laughs> running up to the goal but um, fair play to him because that's the quality we need and, uh, he's, and we know what he's got. The big shame for Ben Goffrey is of course he now misses the next three games. It does include the FA Cup tie I think uh, and also will therefore be uh, Spurs which is on Wednesday this week and Newcastle away then the following Saturday to Burnley in the FA Cup uh, which means he'll be back the other side of the mini winter break <laughs> it's still a weekend off uh, when Liverpool visit Carrow Road so I mean it's a shame because Daniel Farker was able to name a centre-back on the bench for one game <laughs> and now one of them's out for another three yeah, that's true. Actually, I hadn't thought of it like that. I mean, I'm, I was a little bit sorry for, felt a little bit sorry for Hanley losing his place. I uh, don't actually think he did a great deal wrong. In fact, arguably, while Godfrey was away, he was our better centre half. Although you can understand why Fark would want to revert back to his preferred partnership. They do have a great record together. Um, and we got a clean sheet. Yeah, that's that's also true. I, I I don't worry too much about Hanley coming in. That's very true. Um, I. I'm struggling a little bit with sort of um, extolling the great virtues of Norwich's performance on Saturday because, you know, they did play a significant part of it against 10 men. Mm. And I personally thought it felt like quite hard work. <laughs> Is that fair? And yeah. as, as you as you just heard, I kind of asked him, call that, you know, does the, does the fact you had to work so hard just to win a game against 10 men for 70 odd minutes. So, sometimes minutes. those can be the hardest games to win though if you speak to any professional footballer. I don't think we should look at the 10 men so much and I think in flashes going forward when it clicked for Norwich City there were some really really nice passages of play individually and in terms of the the, the sort of greater whole and of the sum of the parts but for me, there is one glaring weakness for Norwich City, clean sheet or no clean sheet, and it is set pieces into the box. Do you, do you remember the one where there was all the kerfuffle over whether Ryan Fraser had it in the quadrant? He didn't. Um, <laughs> just to say that. But 
when when that sort of corner came in, Norwich City didn't concede and managed to clear it, but it was more by accident than by design. And this is a repeated failing. Um, I think I remember the man to my left tweeting some sort of stat pertaining to Norwich City defending set pieces this season. Can you remember I that? I think I put you on the spot, Steve. <laughs> really caught me on the hot yeah. there. Um, I couldn't tell you the numbers, but it, it's not it's not good in terms of in terms of the percentages uh, that they concede versus the percentages that they score from set pieces. It's not good at all. Yeah, and I think that's that's a big problem. I mean, I'm not so bothered about the not scoring from set pieces as long as we're scoring from open play, but this reminds me of that Alex Neal season where every time the opposition got a corner, you thought Norwich City were going to implode at the back. Yeah. Um, and I feel similarly worried when we concede set pieces this season. And I think, yeah, we were a bit tighter and, and sort of harder to, to get in behind from open play, albeit against 10 men. But that set pieces thing is going to come back and haunt us unless we fix it. Just in terms of the flow of the game, I think Stu's absolutely spot on in terms of uh, it's, it's not always easy to play against 10 men. Um, and I think the way that the game was going anyway, it, it was very much a case of um, Norwich having a lot of the ball born with sitting back and looking to counter. Basically, the red card just took that counter off them. They took Harry Wilson off. They brought on Simon Francis. And it would, you could tell it was going to be attack versus defence, which we generally don't fare particularly well at. Um, in fact, it was the second, well, <laughs> going off possession stats from the last five seasons, which are the only really reliable ones in the Premier League, is the second highest that we've ever had in Premier League history. The highest, weirdly, being the 1-0 win, sorry, 1-0 defeat to West Brom, which was Hewton's last game. So we had an awful lot of the ball. It was just a case of trying to break Bournemouth down. Two debuts, of course. Uh, Lucas Arup. Uh, I know. You, yeah, thanks, too. Um, he uh, came on for his debut late on, but I'm not really sure he touched much of the ball, and I'm sure we'll see more of him later. He was mentioned in a piece I did for The Athletic, which you can catch over on there now. I wrote that last week. As, of course, in that piece is Andre Duda, who, who made his debut from the start, which I have to say I was expecting. I was expecting him to get the number 10 gig, especially once Daniel Farker did his press conference on the Friday before and was explaining, really, how he, he saw that that was a key area that they needed to improve and of course it was his shot that created the, the key moment so I mean he's had an immediate impact what did you make of the rest of his performance because I thought there were lots of good touches I thought he did tire in the second half which I think is to be expected but you know there, there was there was encouragement there just in terms really I suppose of how quickly he slipped in and sort of how effectively knowing that they're going to have loads more time to work on it. Yeah. And I think that's the thing, isn't it? Like he, he obviously hasn't played a great deal this season and he did come in and he looked immediately at home in that team, which you'd expect him to, because he was very much a Farkas style player, uh, technically looked good. Um, it looked intelligent. I think Stu alluded to that in the pod last week. Um, one thing I would say, and it's not really his fault is that it doesn't really give us anything that we haven't already had. So, so in terms of a loan signing, you're looking for somebody to come in and really make a difference. And I'm not sure he's going to be that player because he doesn't possess a lot of pace. He's good on the ball, but we have a lot of players like that already. Well, I think the big thing for Norwich City is, um, I think this is right, we have got one goal from a starting number 10 all season. And that was when Kenny McLean started there. Mm. So if Andre Duda comes in and scores more than one goal, then he's already contributed more in terms of, of, of that numerically, which is, is obviously your kind of game rather than mine. Um, and yeah, he is similar in style, but maybe that's just a question of the, the, the sort of identity of the team and the type of players that we, we look to buy. Um, if he can perform consistently, deliver a few goals and, and, and basically fit as a regular member of that sort of three behind the striker, which it now looks to be Buendia, 
Campwell and the AN other. If he can become that AN other and the consistent man there as well as scoring a few goals, then I think that is a positive contribution and definitely a worthwhile signing. I, I, I sort of feel he's been like, if you look at Steepman and Hernandez, neither of them have particularly shone this season. I feel like he's a direct replacement for Steepman. I don't know what you think, Michael. I, I kind of feel like I think Hernandez. He's really they, uh, uh, well, he is different, but I think in terms of the, the role that he plays, but I think what Norwich needed was almost like another Hernandez because when Onal's not firing, he does bring us something different, but when he's not playing well, we haven't got anything anyone else like him. I think that's why I'm going to be keenly watching how it looks at Spurs because it'll be a very different game and I think Norwich will try and turn things around. And the, one of the reasons that Duda isn't at um, uh, Hertha Berlin anymore is because I think Klinsman wanted, as I was told, a more of a transition kind of game and, and he was, wasn't was really working in that kind of role although there are huge question marks of whether Jürgen Klinsmann really knows what he's doing to be <laughs> honest so uh, it'll be really interesting to see how he works in that I, I thought at times especially once Bournemouth went down to 10 men it was a lot across and in front of the box and there was still there were times when they were getting a little bit in each other's way it was interesting how Norwich were trying to play at the back just to draw Bournemouth out because they were pressing them in Norwich's half to then give the three of them the kind of room to to work their a little magic so how they play with him will, will be really interesting but I think the one thing Marco has always done well Marco Stieperman is is sort of um, battle and uh, use the ball well it was his finishing which he would get in so many good shooting positions and just look woefully short of belief to actually put the ball in a decent position on the goal and I think already from Duda you look at someone who's like I'm really comfortable playing at this level let's see how we get on and by the way I'm going to hit the target and I think that's a that's a big because Norwich have, and as I wrote in my piece about Duda and Rup signing Norwich are 12th in creating open play chances mm. in the Premier League this season which is ridiculous for the team finishing bottom and or at least currently are bottom let's hope they don't finish there but it says it all about the just the lack of chances and they've got two ways to go really from here haven't they they can either continually strive to tighten up at the back or they can try and get a second third goal and kill a game off and actually when you think about it probably the second and the latter is an easier form for them to do I, I think that's the really intriguing sort of thing because we remember that period uh, when Farca set the he, he, the team went five games without conceding a goal and it was like the, the great new year of sort of Norwich City defensive football and then we've now gone back to a team that that really I, I think it's safe to say that Norwich City are holding their own as an attacking force at this level but defensively we're not and it's interesting that it looks like we're going to carry on with the, the, the defence that we've got um, through to the end of the season. I'm not fully surprised by that because I definitely don't think that they would break the model or, or the identity, the, the sort of the, the modus operandi they've had in terms of the way that they go about signing players. But it says a lot that they're, they're quite happy to do that despite those defensive woes. Um, so for me, I think... Conceding goals for open play, it's going to happen. I mean, it's, it's a league with the best, some of the best players in the world in it. But it's the set pieces again for me. That That's the big one. I think if we can stop conceding as many goals at set pieces, then we give ourselves a fighting chance still because I think we've got enough going forward. I think as well as in terms of January, Tim, uh, Tim Closer, sorry, is by all accounts only a few weeks away from coming back. We don't know what state he'll be in because he's been out with quite a nasty injury. So we've got a four cent fit centre half. Well, so yeah, well, uh, well, four fit, but whether any of them will be suspended, <laughs> we'll have to see. Uh, let's just touch briefly on Tim Mabuki because he is. Finland's Athlete of the Year, only the third footballer ever to win it since 1947. Who were the other two? Uh, I know this because I've written it. 
I, I, I've heard it. So you, you uh, tell you what, we'll leave it. It's it's in a piece I've written on, on the Athletic somewhere. You'll have to find out which piece. Um, we'll tell you who they are by the end of the show, providing these two remind me to actually say that. But have a think about it. Only two other Finnish footballers have won the uh, Finnish Athlete of the Year. I've got, I've got one that I think will okay. be well, likely. You can think about the other one then. Um, that's on Stuart, that one. Uh, uh, so, of course, a lovely customary penalty, which Max Aaron's turned his back on. <laughs> uh, I don't know why. I'm quite keen to find out. But it was nice to see him do that given all the woes of penalties uh, you must have you got a stat to hand about the woes of penalties uh, we missed six last season yeah. we missed six out of seven so um, but the last two goals that we've scored have been penalties so having not scored one since uh, oh 20- yeah Preston Preston yeah. yeah so having not had one for scored one for over a year we've um We've bagged two in a row. See, well, a no panic. Brilliant. And uh, also, I did want to mention my flags piece. Uh, basically, I uh, you will have, those of you who have been to Carrow Road, and those of you who watch Carrow Road, you'll see when uh, the teams come out, there are a lot of flags around. Sometimes there are big banners, which are called surfers, that go over loads of people because they're absolutely huge. I think 27 metres by 20 metres and weighing 10 stone And when they're dry, and they weren't <laughs> dry on Saturday. Uh, but uh, I went and um, spoke to and joined in with uh, laying out all the flags and, and and the surfer uh, and putting everything out ahead of the game on Saturday. They've got big plans for the Liverpool game coming up as well in a few weeks' time. So uh, that piece is for you to read on The Athletic too. Uh, the atmosphere wasn't great on Saturday, was it? I mean, it was lovely when everyone came out and the pictures looked great, yeah. but you could sense the tension in Carrow Yeah, Road. and that was partly down to the to the game, wasn't it, really? I mean, uh, the, the kind of, that kind of nervous energy playing against 10 men when you're expected to win. Um, I, I, I did think it before the game again, actually. I just think the Barclay end looks great. I think it's looks so impressive we look like a Premier League team well we actually look like a Bundesliga team is what we look like which is better <laughs> which obviously. is better yeah yeah it's much more hipster well and interestingly <laughs> the Bundesliga they've got the section that's got the ultras and then the rest of the ground is quite civilised and um, I think Duda described it in one of his post-match interviews as, as quite like sort of the theatre you know and he quite liked it that the whole sort of four ends of the ground were right on top of you and right immersed into it but he's not seen Carroll Road at his best yet not yet no yeah, it's coming it's coming anyway if you want to read that piece Uh, please do because I very much enjoyed both doing it and writing it at this point I I, I think it's nice if we look at the table (laughs) he says although we did put it off for a while Uh, what goes through your mind when you look at it now do you know what goes through my mind I think of Bournemouth as a team that are going to be in trouble this year I think they they could well be one of the teams that go down Norwich City maybe as well Um, but What's really cool for me is, if I was a Bournemouth fan, being, and now that there's, again, sort of on the Athletic, there's a really interesting piece from David Ornstein, and who's the Bournemouth chap? Uh, Peter Rutzler, who is there with me on uh, Carrow Road, he's their Bournemouth guy, lovely bloke. Now, he, they, they, that basically sort of said how Bournemouth are so reliant on staying in the Premier Division, and it's going to be essentially a nightmare if they don't. So... Maybe Eddie Howe and the, and the sort of powers that be at the club there are thinking, do you know what, that FA Cup tie we've got uh, coming up, should we play a weekend team, just save players for the Premier League? Norwich City don't have that dilemma. We we can go, we can have a free run at the Cup, we can have a free run at the league, because there's no pressure on us financially to stay in this league. So we can essentially just have a free hit from now until the end of the season. And that is a heartening thought when you think we're in a relegation scrap. Yeah, we're still in touch, which is nice. I mean, I didn't just about. I, yeah, I didn't come out of that game thinking this is the 
great escape. It's coming. And uh, <laughs> I've probably already made that point. Um, but the next four games look tough on paper. Am I right in saying three of them are away? Um, and the home one is against Liverpool. You've got to be looking probably t- to win at least one of the... Well, if they don't win one of the next four, then they, it, it looks like it's going to be curtains. So they do need to start getting some unlikely results, if you like. I think so, yeah. It's a really interesting one because it was, it was quite compelling, Farker... Daniel Farker saying, if we win all our home games from here on in, we will stay up. I mean, A, I don't know if that's entirely true because I think it'll only take them to 35 points. I think it's going to be mm. higher than that <laughs> this season. <laughs> but I didn't want to you know, ruin the magic of the moment. But it did kind of <laughs> emphasise the fact that this is still in Norwich's hands. What we're wanting them to do is buck the trend of their points hauls so far. And, and also being selective about the games they pick their points up in that are going to do them a favour mm. like beating Bournemouth of course but when they go up to Newcastle they can't afford to lose that game I mean that was the interesting thing about the weekend because there was one point where I was thinking well someone mentioned to me well we will only be so far behind Newcastle and of course they then go and beat yeah. Chelsea in the last minute I was looking at Burnley thinking oh they won the doubt Leicester well you know they could get dragged into it. oh no they've won 2-1 yeah. and it's it's that that difficulty in terms of you know so many teams that are established in the Premier League are fighting and doing a good job of it well and the other thing is I, I know it wouldn't have been meant like this but actually what a, it's all very well when you're home what about your away games you know they've, they've still got a lot of big away fixtures to come I know they've got some hard ones on the road but they they can't just you know even the games away at the likes of Spurs and Arsenal you can't just write them off now they've got to be looking to get points from them thanks Andrew we've competed against some of the bigger teams so I, I don't I'm feeling more positive than a lot of people. I don't think we'll stay up, but I think we're. I don't think we're going to disgrace ourselves going down. I love it, Stu. Too right. Uh, well, this is the point where we would now usually sling in our now traditional Scottish brogue from afar, but you're here, Stu, so we won't. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I not just get a go at it anyway. No. Well, um, t- what would you do if we were going to do it now? And don't actually do it. Uh, there's one idea that I'm saving for next week. Oh. Um, that I'm going to do and the other thing was stop telling Alex Tetty to shoot <laughs> occasionally it works majestically well but stop imploring at me shoot when he really shouldn't there they go <laughs> five second hotspot yeah, yeah 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 clip it now brilliant <laughs> stuff well uh, Stu will be back with his hotspot next week which will be exciting. Um, in the meantime, I did get a question from Nick Dye on the Twitter. Thanks, Nick. Um, it's actually a few weeks old, so apologies for that. But um, he did ask, has there ever been a glimmer of a 3-4-3 at Colney? It would enable our current playing style with high and wide players. Uh, also bring Emmy and Todd inside. This is probably before we signed um, Andre Duda, actually. Uh, and and we could do that without leaving us frail in wide defensive areas. Could prevent less panic and therefore less free kicks and corners given away. Sam Byram probably would um, have to play alongside Hanley or Godfrey uh, on the other side. I think that works. Um, is that something? I, I know that Daniel would Farker would have loved to have played three at the back and it probably would be more of a three five two because that's the version he's tended to play more of well that that's the thing like formations are fun because you can interpret a three four three as something totally different it could be like a five two then two wide then a striker you know um it depends where you are in the pitch the way the game's going sort of the way that you judge a shape um i think norwich city i think deviating from what we've done at this stage would just confuse the situation there's a favourite Daniel Farker word there as well, situation. <laughs> um, I think that would just confuse the players if we if we 
try to, to get too different about it now. Um, I think something as wholesale as that, unless it was a one-off tactical plan for a specific game, I think sort of changing the, the, the whole sort of structure of the team and, and looking to do that in a, a more sort of wholesale way would just be dangerous at this point in the season and counterproductive probably. Yeah, I don't disagree with Nick's point in that it, it could work, but I think you're absolutely right, Michael, in that it, the injuries have probably put pay to that this season. You can kind of imagine it with Closer and Godfrey either side of Zimmerman or Hanley as a back three, that could really work. But I think Closer being injured has kind of killed it. And then Stu makes a very good point that it, we're not like, I, I don't think we're likely to see it now. Um, at what we're doing is kind of working and it would be strange if I could suddenly just throw that out the window I think uh, Q Liverpool and Norwich play a 4-6-0 <laughs> which uh, the Liverpool programme noted is the formation Spurs played against them quite is recently that's Mourinho Brilliant. what a dig you. that was hold on <laughs> right that that, I, I only ever saw 4-6-0 and Craig Levine played it for Scotland <laughs> against the Czech Republic well, they won't be playing it they won't be playing it on Wednesday they'll definitely have a few more up front it'll be more like 4-2-4 on Wednesday if they can find if I get time for a quick story about that go on go on I, um, my, is this Craig Levine yeah I phoned my wee sister after that game after Scotland obviously capitulated as usual um, and in another heartbreaking circumstance and she was like I was like so Kirsten right you know you get the one that tries to stop the goal she's like that the goalkeeper I says yeah and then you get the ones that help him she's like the defenders yeah and then I says you've got the ones in the the middle and she's like the middle fielders I says the midfield right aye and then I says what about the ones that try to get the goals for you she's like the striker I says aye we didn't have one of them she's like well that's quite stupid isn't it (laughs) she knows nothing about football so I don't get 4-6-0 fling it in the bin (laughs) (laughs) let's move it on shall we to next up then as we know it's uh, Tottenham on Wednesday and that's at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium very exciting yeah on a personal note and uh, Burnley then awaits in the fourth round of the FA Cup at Turf Moor, where I've already been. Not quite as exciting, no, but you know, okay. delicious. Um, it's a really interesting. I, I watched um, the the Watford Spurs game was on in the press room before Norwich played Bournemouth. So, you know, Tottenham had some. I don't know. They were really unconvincing. Yet they still had some very good chances, and they do play so quickly, even though they're kind of missing Harry Kane, obviously, and. Mm. And I don't know if Christian Eriksen will still be there or not by the time Norwich kick off. How difficult is this fixture? Because there's something a bit wrong at Spurs at the moment. I, th- I think it's as difficult as we make it. I, you know, I think we looked at Manchester United and said, oh, they could be there for the taking, not on such great form. Um, we made that very hard. And we made that very hard for ourselves. <laughs> and I saw the tweet that you put out today saying that Spurs, only Bournemouth are below Spurs in terms of the last six games in the league. So we're playing them at a good time. But that said, I mean, you know, like Along Song Hung Min, they didn't have at Carrow Road, and he's just a tremendous player, such a lovely player to watch. The exact kind of player we will struggle against. We've got to keep it tight early on, otherwise it could get messy. I think. Yeah, I think I think the the turn of phrase you used. It's as hard as we make it. As I think that every game's like that until the end of the season. Now, whether it's Spurs, Newcastle, whoever, um, I think Norwich City can put themselves right in games and they can kill themselves very early in games as well or right at the start of the second half or whatever. I think the Spurs game is going to be... I think it's going to be a tough one. I just think it's getting to the point where Mourinho is eventually going to get it right and he's going to find on a formula that works for the people that he's got at that club. And I think you're right about Song Hyung Min. He's got that combination of dynamism and intelligence as a footballer that Norwich City are struggling to defend players like that. Selection-wise for us, 
I I think Tribal should come in. I don't know what you think. Um, personally, I think I'd go back to Kenny at number 10. I don't think Dudu did anything wrong, but I'm not sure about McLean playing alongside Teddy in defensive midfield. I think we might just get opened up. I think it's really... I thought Saturday's game against Bournemouth for a lot of things you could take positives from. I think it was very hard to judge the midfield because of the situation of the True. game. Mm. Um, and actually, I thought there were times when... Um, Dan Gosling, isn't it? Dan yes, Gosling. Yeah. Uh, he, he was sort of just running around, you know, Teddy and Kenny. And I'm like, this Dan Gosling, great, great professional, but you're, mm. you're being dominated by one midfielder at the moment. <laughs> so I, th- um, I didn't really like that. I, th- I find it sad that, although I, I was reliably informed actually that um, Ibrahim Amadou was, was ill at the weekend, okay. which is partly why he wouldn't have featured, but I, I half think that he wouldn't have featured anyway. That strikes me as a, a real shame because this is one of the crucial bits of business they did in the in the window mm-hmm. and it's just not worked yeah. and he was brought in as a defensive holding midfielder and it's just not worked. and again it was quite telling from Farker in the press conference ahead of the uh, game at the weekend where he said he was listing off his central his centre-back options and he said well uh, obviously we have Ibrahim who's uh, I believe I'm considering in my head as a centre half because that's where he's had his better performances which is amazing and just like, mm-hmm. ah, which I still think is pretty harsh because against Arsenal, I thought he was pretty good, to be honest. And then he got the first half an hour at Southampton where everyone was rubbish. And then he moved into the back three for the last 15 minutes yeah. of the first half. And then he was brought off at half time and Teddy was better. So uh, it's a difficult one. I, do you think we'll see Teddy and Amadou together? I mean, the fact that, that Teddy's playing as much as I love him is, is probably not good news in terms of you wouldn't have expected him to be there. Is there any way that the two of them could play together? I think there there is if you give enough freedom to the players ahead of them and, and I think away from home at Spurs is one of the games where yeah. you do it to be honest and possibly I don't know is it not just two players that want to do the same job really but the the problem that Norwich have is is that they give teams too much space and I think that's yeah, because but a lot it's of areas defense. of the pitch as well because they both like to occupy similar areas of the pitch whereas you want someone that's maybe got a bit more sort of the in terms of the the ground that they cover there's a greater scope Whereas I think they both want to screen in the same part of the pitch. But that is an area of the pitch where we just don't have enough bodies. I mean, Manchester United... Yeah, there's one area of the pitch as opposed to sort of the the other parts of the midfield round about it. I'm not talking about further forward. I'm just talking about in terms of width rather than length, if you like. I think they need to play a low block against Spurs. So I think they need two players that are going to stop you attacking. If Amadou's not going to play, then it should be Tribal. I I think Tribal's a much better show than both of them. I think what Tribal can do is play the ball through the lines Mm. quicker, um, as we saw at Leicester and then that does give the four an outlet when they've got a numerical advantage. I think that's probably going to be key, whereas probably Amadou and Teti aren't capable of doing that. was another that. random maybe, good performance with Leicester, wasn't it? Well, yes. Well, they've been playing well apart from Old Trafford. That was what I was actually saying. It wasn't like they played bad against Bournemouth, but um, there we go. Uh, okay, well, I think we've wrapped up that. Anyone care about the FA Cup? Uh, I do. I, I made this point earlier. I think Norwich City should have a go. Have a go. Yeah, I'd like I'd like to. I, th- I think we will go through. I think we might take it to a replay and do them at, at Carrow <laughs> Road. Lucky Vaughan, Lucky Burnley. <laughs> Come back down to Carrow, boys. Um, brilliant. Uh, I've, I've asked this question here, so I'll ask it anyway. January, is there anything bothering you about it? Or if it was just like this until the end of the month, everything stayed status quo, happy enough? Uh, well, I said uh, when I was on a couple of weeks ago, I think we need a defender and a striker and we haven't got either. I could, I could live without a centre-back, I think. I if Pookie gets injured with massive trouble I would get a striker in on loan 
Uh, I want both, but I would prioritise the defender. Oh, there you go. Split. <laughs> Split. Uh, and of course, we should also say a very big good luck to Norwich's under-18s. Is a big good luck a thing? I'm not really sure it, it is. is but we're going to offer, offer them the big good luck. Uh, the under-18s host Manchester United in the fourth round of the FA Youth Cup. That's at Carrow Road on Tuesday night. If you're listening to this, of course, after that game, then you'll know how they've done. Fingers crossed. Hope it was positive. Uh, I'll be there watching. Uh, if you are listening to this before and you can go along, go along because I think mm. it's free and it'll be a cracker. And along come Norwich are there with the flags. Yeah, think, singing zone. Well. All sorts. Yes. That's Game brilliant. Forward. And I mean, you never know, you might spot another few gems like Neil Adams' team had. This is it. Exactly right. In fact, Norwich won the FA Youth Cup uh, more recently than Manchester United. So, oh, that's therefore we are better. Thanks. That's it, I think. And remember, if you subscribe to The Athletic, then make sure you log on to the website or app uh, two hours after every Norwich City kickoff to discuss all the key topics from the day's action. That includes uh, Norwich's trip to Tottenham on Wednesday evening and Burnley in the FA Cup, of course, on Saturday. Uh, I also do a separate Q&A online every week for subscribers. Uh, and as I said at the top of the pod, you can also listen to these podcasts ad-free when you subscribe to The Athletic. Uh, but that is it for On The Ball this week. The podcast is freely available available on your podcast player of choice so please spread the word and if you want to get in touch with us just sling me a tweet or like nick die did earlier uh, ping me a direct message on twitter at michael j bailey uh finnish athlete of the year i haven't forgotten did you have a uh, answer yari letman of the, course uh, what year 97 Five. Done. Well done. Oh, yeah. Ajax won the European <laughs> there Cup. There you go. Yeah. Um, how about someone else winning the European Cup that might have been Finnish? God, I hope I've got that right yeah. now in my head. And Ooh. played for Liverpool. Liverpool. Also. Uh, Hippia. Sammy Hippia in... Uh, oh, ah. won the European Cup in 2005. One. Oh, did they, they, did they win the UEFA Cup? UEFA Cup. That was when they got the treble. You know when you wish you hadn't started something? (laughs) But there we go. It's Sammy Hippier. Well done. They were the two. I'm glad I remembered. Uh, In the meantime, a big thank you to Stu. Hello, hello, goodbye. It's one of those nights. I've probably (laughs) spoken absolute nonsense throughout this pod, but thank you for listening, everyone. And it's great to be back. (laughs) It's great to have you back. Steve, thanks a lot, mate. Thank you. I've definitely spoken absolute nonsense throughout this pod. Again, it's why we're here. (laughs) Uh, Thanks to all of you a lot out there for listening. We really appreciate it. We'll be back next week with another edition of On The Ball, a Norwich City podcast from The Athletic. Until then, never mind the danger. Danger.